Hello everybody and welcome. It's number 28 of The Media Beat with Maureen and Claire. Maureen, as you know, leads the global practice in media at Arthur D. Little, which is the world's oldest and some would say leading management consultancy company. And her friend is Claire Tavernier. Claire has known Maureen, they've worked together for decades, and Claire has held a variety of very high level executive positions at various media companies. She has been a consultant, uh, she's been a commentator, and it's always great to uh, welcome her. I shall first say hello to Maureen. Hello. <laughs> and I shall say hello to Claire. Hi, Oliver. But I will not continue with any more niceties because we've got quite a lot to get through today. Um, there's one item dominating the news. And uh, unless you've been living in a cave on Mars, uh, you might not know that there is a writer's strike in the US. But what you might not know is uh, what it's all about. So we'll be taking a deep dive into that. And we'll be looking at uh, a few things that have been happening in the news as usual. And we will be having our lightning fast round to close proceedings at the end. That one promises to be particularly entertaining stay tuned although of course people don't tune things anymore uh, don't click away i guess is what we should be saying so uh, we all know there's a writer's strike in hollywood uh, as i've established but um what maybe we don't know if it's having any uh, any uh, implications to production what's actually going on is it just the writers will it spread to other people in the creative industries what the hell is the wga or indeed the sag or indeed the dga are they all made up uh, and uh, what's the likely impact to in the long term to our TV, which is a very important part of our lives? Who better to explain what on earth is going on uh, than Claire? So Claire, please unpick it all for us. Yes. Well, as apparently I always say when you ask me a question, Oliver. Yes. Well, it's a very complicated issue, but it's one that uh, on the one hand uh, has as causes a lot of the structural changes in in the industry. And it's also likely to have some very significant consequences to the industry that we live in. And by industry, I mean the content industry, specifically the TV and movie industry. So what's going on? The WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America, uh, negotiates payments for writers every three years with the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers of America. They're not the only ones who negotiate every three years with America. The DGA, which is the Directors Guild of America, and indeed the SAG, which is the, the Actors Guild, also have similar negotiations. Um, as you may know, the production world is made up of a lot of freelancers. You tend to work on a production and move on and work in another production. And so, and especially in the US, those those freelancers, whether they're actors or writers or indeed directors, are very heavily unionized. And those those unions are the ones that are negotiating terms with the with the producers. Now, these deals are negotiated every three years. The, the negotiations normally sort of are a formality, but occasionally they break down. And this is what's just happened to the to the negotiation between the WGA and the AMTPTP. The last time it broke down was in 2007-2008, and the Writers Guild went on strike for 14 weeks. And you may remember this as the year where the office seasons were cut short, where a number of your favorite shows didn't come back, and also the year where reality TV, which obviously doesn't need as much of a script, really took off because, because broadcasters had to put something on air and they couldn't put anything scripted. And when I say they can't put anything scripted, we may think of writers of shows as the ones writing scripts for sitcoms and dramas, etc. But they also write jokes, 
for our late night show hosts like Jimmy Fallon or Seth Meyer. They also write scripts for, for instance, the Tony Awards, which just happened in, uh, in America, which is a big awards show, which happened yesterday without a script. Uh, for the first time, because there were no writers that were happy to write to write for it, so it has it has huge impacts on production. You may also think, well, the writers write the script and then you start production, but that's not actually how it works. Usually, a writer is on set during the production, and a lot of changes to the scripts are made while the production is ongoing. So even if you have a script that's more or less ready to be shot for a TV show or a film, you're still going to need an actor or a writer on set to help. Um, in addition to this, and the, the writer's strike has been going on now for already a, a, a good month, a, a bit more than a month, the actors are saying that they might join the the the, the, uh, the strike and start striking themselves. And it doesn't look like the negotiations are being uh, are making a lot of progress. So what are the issues? The main issue, the central issue, or one of the key central issues, is the issue of residuals. And I think that's a really important one because it is it is changing because of the way that we consume television in the past when you let's say you wrote an, an episode of the office for instance you would be paid for this episode and then you would be paid as a writer a residual payment every which is a share of advertising revenues essentially every time this episode gets shown again on any channel and as you may know those tv shows used to be rerun over and over and over again now what's happening is if you take a, a new sitcom like Abbott Elementary, which uh, is one of the biggest successes of the last two years in terms of in terms of sitcoms, that was launched on ABC in the US. So the writer would have been paid a fairly limited fee for the, for the script of one episode. But then it went straight to Hulu and Disney Plus. So it didn't get any reruns. And when it goes to Hulu and Disney Plus, there is no advertising revenue for the writer to to share in and so the residuals for the writers are becoming smaller and smaller and smaller and the initial payment is not getting bigger so one of the examples that was given in the press is that an Abbott elementary writer might have expected to make about thirteen thousand dollars to write an episode but because of the initial payment and, the, and then the the residuals and today we're talking really about seven hundred dollars which is a lot less especially if you have to pay rent. And so some of these writers are in real financial crisis. So that's one of the biggest issues. It's not the only one. I'm going to hand over to Maureen to talk about another big issue, which is centered around artificial intelligence. Indeed. No, thanks, Claire. That, that is so, I mean, the way you break that down is really helpful. Um, even I'm trying to get my head around all the different acronyms. Um, so I think you've mastered that brilliantly. Thank you for that. I guess there's one other issue which, of course, probably wasn't on the top of anyone's mind back in um, uh, 2008, 2017, 2022, except November 2022. And that is, of course, the whole discussion around artificial intelligence and AI and its impact on the creative industry. So one of the other aspects uh, that's been negotiated and discussed is the use of AI. And uh, our understanding is that there is either, it's either been signed off or it's certainly now there's an agreement in principle for a policy on AI authoring, which means it's okay to use AI. It's okay to use generative AI. It's okay to use ChatGPT for your research, but not to author a piece of work that requires a human individual. So, as I said, it's okay to augment the creative process, 
but you cannot displace a human being in that process. And so there's a whole big, um, which I think is great, uh, uh, policy and, and principles laid down, especially to protect the creative industry in this aspect. So the literary AI aspect is clearly banned, but the research AI is fine. And I think that's encouraging. So that's one point I wanted to raise. I think the other point is, let's be bold and let's be frank about this. We are talking about $429 million for staffing for the entire industry. And that is the ask versus what was the number that was put on the table that started these round of negotiations? 86 million. So, I mean, there is a chasm here. There is a big void and you can see why there is a protection of positions. There's a protection of staffing. There's a protection of, you know, rights. Um, And that is quite significant. If we sort of step back a bit and we talk about other sets of numbers, if you look at the industry, and we all know we speak about this week in, week out, how much operating income or how much content spend. There's numbers out there that shows all of the streamers and the major plays in the creative industry have, have actually generated, generated operating profits to the tune of about 29 billion. Billion. Over the period of 2017 to 20. Billion. Yeah. Billion. Billion. In this period, okay? Okay, billion. So billions versus millions. Okay, so 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 you can see why uh, writers, actors, you know, ancillary services are saying, "Hey, come on a minute, come on a minute." You know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really share. important point. It's we're there. This six hundred million is is two percent, less than two percent of the total amount that that the industry is generating, not in revenues, in profits. So it's not. It certainly on paper doesn't seem unreasonable. Of course, there's a principle involved. And of course, it's also true that the streamers are struggling and the traditional broadcasters are struggling to find a a long-term business model that actually works for them in this new world where they can't can't depend on advertising. So they're saying, yeah, but, you know, we don't even know exactly how to make money ourselves. We can't start changing the rules and creating precedents for for the long term. But yes, absolutely. in the grand scheme of thing, it seems very small what they're asking. It's easy to state it from the side of the of the negotiation table, I guess. I think I think indeed. And then and then go back to Claire, your point about, you know, what is what is the what are the streamers, what are what are the studios, how are they reacting to this? And of course they they, they, they kind of like they are going to the negotiating table at, at least with respect to the lobbyists of uh, the guilds. Um, but that they you know, they're in turn sort of saying, well, okay, you know, uh, we have a stockpile of content. We can probably put that content up um, and that's fine. But frankly, given where they are and they're pivoting away from, you know, SVODs, they're losing, there's some churn, they're losing customers and they want to give more to their audiences. um, That's not going to work. So, um, you know, they definitely need and, and, and viewers want really good content I, I'm missing Seth Myers you know I, I went, come, come back Seth Myers exactly so I think there's, there's there's definitely various participants and actors in this ecology here 
that that will break the mold and will protect i think you know various uh, um factions for for rights and, and and this is only another three years so you know we all want to see i think great creatives being protected we you know we want to see fair share of of the let's say the infrastructure in terms of you know, studios and streamers clearly being able to test their business models and generate income of course um but i think there needs to be a meeting of minds um and i and i think it's a it's a it's a fascinating time for this because of this introduction also of the underlying technology and innovation that's coming through that could 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 well be misplaced could well be uh destructive to the creative industry so we want to sort of protect that but yeah, fascinating topics these are. I mean, there's another thing, obviously, which is that a lot of the big streamers have made very, very large deals with some of those production companies, some of these writers, because in, in this sort of content wars that we've been in for the last couple of years. And there, the, this is a very interesting sideline. If the strike goes on until July, which it's very unlikely that it won't. I mean, I think nobody's very is really expecting it to get better before September. But there's there's an argument for the producers to try and at least extend it until July because if it goes on until July, they can exercise a provision in their contract, which is a force measure provision, which allows them to rip up a lot of these contracts that they might think now, did we really need to spend that much money on that talent? And uh, indeed, that's what happened in the previous strike, in the 2007 strike where uh, ABC got out of about 30 deals in, 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 a, very, in a very bloody week by, by invoking force majeure. So there may, not, there may be some incentive for the producers to let this hang around for a little bit longer, but not too long, because you're absolutely right. They are going to run out of content. They're going to run out of fresh content. They may be looking abroad for other content, but that's, that's for, with complications as well. So the Writers Guild of of uh, Great Britain, for instance, is is you know has issued some guidelines to their writers to say you know there are certain things you can still do, but there are some deals that we advise you not to do because you know we want to stand together with our uh, with American partners. And if any of the production has an American writer together with a UK writer, then it doesn't help at all. And some of the UK writers indeed belong to both guilds. So it's um, so that it's not necessarily easy to to see exactly what the studios will do. They are filling their full schedule, as it's called, with a lot of sports and reality. But I mean, at some point, you said it yourself. People want scripted content. You know, there's only so much reality that we can we can really watch. There are some very doom and gloom scenario which sees the strike going all the way to December, which would be extreme. I think that's unlikely. I think if I had, if I if I look at what's going on and I had to make a prediction, I think the actors will join. And the actors the actors' issues are very aligned with the writers. The directors ended up doing a deal separately, and they have a slightly different makeup. But the actors want two things: they want better residuals for streaming, like the writers, and they are very threatened by AI because you know you can make a Tom Cruise movie without Tom Cruise now. So they need regulation around the use of their image on AI. So that's so that's a really key point for them. Perhaps even well, I don't know if it's more a key point for them for, than the writers, but it's definitely high up. So the actors will most likely go on strike. They've actually voted, I think, ninety eight percent for the strike, the the actors union. And I don't see this getting better until 
September at the earliest. And as I said, I don't think the producers would necessarily want it to get better before July, but certainly not before September. And then there will be consequences, you know? There will be consequences in terms of, of the streamers, in terms of people's watching habits, in terms of distribution deals. At a moment where the industry feels quite fragile in many ways, at a moment where we are in an advertising recession, at a moment where a lot of people, there's a cost of living crisis, which means a lot of people are reviewing their online subscriptions and deciding whether they really do need all of these online, online um, streaming platforms at the same time. It's, it's a tricky moment for the industry, for sure. Yeah, so that was a, a lot to take in, actually, a lot of analysis. It, is that is that is that also an element of uh, eventually the calculation of residuals? If you can make fairer, you can still tell digitally how much a piece of content has been consumed, can't you? So could you feasibly use AI and all the marketing and um, consuming information to pay residuals um, in a fair way, sort of like Spotify does? I mean, you, you'd, you'd argue it might not be the amount of money they deserve, but is that a possible model, or is it far too complicated for that? Oh, it's absolutely possible. It's possible. They just don't want to. I mean, there's another thing that's stream because yeah. there's not that much money already and they want to keep it because they have, they may be generating a lot of profits, but they have made a lot of investments that they're advertising over several years for their platforms. And they, they know that they're going to have to spend more and more money on, on content. So, you know, I'm not, there are no bad guys in this scenario. The, the producers are trying to, to balance their books and trying to see how they can make it. However, they obviously need to find a way to make this in a way that's, that allows writers to live. But um, the interesting thing about, about the residuals, the new strategy of some platforms to avoid paying reduced residuals, it's just to take the content off the platform. And we are in a situation where there are certain, there are some content that are, that are now not available anywhere, not on platforms, not on DVD, not on pay-per-view, nothing. And very often that's because of residuals. It's because it's cheaper for them not to put them anywhere. Because in the past, they were getting revenues. There was marginal revenues generated by each piece of content. And not, now that's not the case anymore. So if they know they're going to have to pay a certain amount of residuals, it's better for them to do it on a smaller amount of content than on a larger amount of content. That's an absolute nightmare, isn't it? Because you wouldn't have predicted necessarily. You'd have thought everything will be available to everybody at all times as long as you're able to pay. That was how it would work out and shake out in the end. But the fact that there is good content not available because it doesn't economically make sense is, a, is really sad. It's a little bit like when I thought that we were all chatting on the internet when it first became a thing. I thought, oh, at last, humanity is going to understand each other and we're all going to get on. Yeah. And I'll be talking to a woman in Iraq about her life and then I'll be talking to an Inuit tribesman and then we'll all be working together. And the absolute opposite has happened. It's one of the... Um, uh, as internet paradoxes, I say, which is quite un unfair. Unexpected consequences, yes. I mean, just to That's give you an, an yeah. example, uh, Warner Brothers Discoveries, we actually talked about this on the podcast, removed over 100 titles from HBO Max. This was the whole Zaslav uh, cost-cutting exercise. And they did this specifically to cut costs. They were very open about it. Uh, AMC and Showtime have taken stuff out of their platform. The Disney is actively pulling content from Disney+. Plus. Now I wanted to see Ali my bill with my kids and it's not available anywhere. It's really sad. Oh, well, that's, well, at least something good has come out. I'm joking. I'm joking. Ali my She's the lady with the baby, right? No, no, I was freaked out by that baby. The baby just freaked me out. Yeah, we can't, you, can't, you can't be freaked out because it's not anywhere. And, and that, you know, that's, 
that's not good generally because content should be available, but it's very unfair to the writers, the talent and the public who have no control over it. And it is, it is purely a cost cutting exercise. And, and you can see why from the platform's perspective, it makes absolute sense. Oh yeah, I mean business is business. I, I, I hope hope because you're like some of these old old um, series and old films and stuff that you want your children to look at because mm. it's quite nice for you in terms of being nostalgic. But it's also um, good for them. Anyway, this story will run and run. I love saying that, as you know. So uh, we have to run and run onto uh, in the news. But uh, that was a great analysis. Thank you so much. Uh, learned a lot as usual. Uh, but now we move on to in the news. <laughs> And the first item today, all oh, right, so this is one that we have not exactly predicted, but it's not a massive uh, shock uh, to regular listeners of the Media Beat. Uh, Maury, tell me all about Chris Licht, if that's the right way to pronounce it, and his, um, and his demise. Oh gosh, so of course, yes, we are, um, we've, we're following, of course, this major uh, consolidation in the media market. We follow... Uh, acquisitions and uh, M&A activity, more broadly speaking. And of course, we've been following uh, the Warner uh, Brothers uh, and Discovery uh, deal and integration and so on and so forth. So, um, so of course, as part of that, you've got CNN, the, 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 probably the most renowned, well-known, um, independent, or, or it once was, it, no, it is, uh, independent uh, news um, organisation. Um, and, uh, you know, small, small entity compared to other um, other news organizations but nonetheless you know punches above its weight so 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 in the last year or so um, there was certainly a a view that CNN was probably you know polarizing um, and moving you know anti-president anti-trump you know um, and taking a quite sort of a, a very staunch position uh, politically and um, and so when uh, when various uh, restructurings were happening and reorganizations were happening, Chris Licht, who's actually by, 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 let's say, he's known for, he's known as a producer. Um, he was actually put in as a CEO of CNN, which is a big, a challenging task, a challenging task, you know, to be in the center of you know, a newsroom full of really well-respected journalists, you know, uh, but actually being tasked with a business objective, which is to really increase ratings and, and really take some share or even market share uh, and, 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 and lower costs. So, so, so any business-savvy individual would have found that job very challenging. Any media person would have found it challenging. Uh, but nonetheless, it should and ought to take a certain type of person. But um, David Zaslav and others decided that Chris was the right person. Now, since he's since he was placed in the organisation, it has been downhill from then, um, and it has ended dramatically. Um, it started to sort of get quite sort of weary, and uh, people were quite restless about his uh, about his uh, stewardship um, a year ago. Um, then six months ago, when he was firing a lot of people, a lot of journalists that we all love and like listening to. Um, and then and then decided to put in place the, 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 the Trump town hall, which was basically a, a mouthpiece for um, I don't know how many lies they counted or fake news items that they counted. But nonetheless, it was it was it was disastrous. It was actually disastrous in some in some people's minds. It was disastrous. 
eternal that is um and i think then 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 suddenly there was a, a very personal very uh well scripted um uh, piece of journalism that basically profiled chris in the atlantic and within 24 48 hours of that particular article which really did talk to the character of the individual um he was removed so swift and um the action brutal decision making was taken very very quickly and 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 the reason that we're talking about this is because david zasleff has said i take ownership of this i i take responsibility for this you know it's a difficult task but nonetheless i basically made a mistake um so sorry to be sort of personal about this individual but from a business and a creative perspective clearly you know it was a a, a strange decision but a swift one at the end painful um and you could tell from various people that i mean i i i listen to and i watch uh, and i read reliable sources um oliver darcy just saying it was a relief cnn is should be in the news for news not because it is the news so it really is sad but you know a moment of relief and interesting to see who can run a news organization in this environment and of course the run up to a political uh, election uh, 2024 in the US. Yeah, I think um it was a gamble Chris Lift which obviously didn't pay off but it was a gamble that that Zaslav felt that he had to take because because CNN and I more I need to really don't like when I say this but I'm going to say it anyway CNN is becoming more and more irrelevant. There's a small group of loyal viewers who will continue to watch it but that group is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. They try to do a streaming platform or it is not happy. But they're trying to do a streaming platform <laughs> it didn't work. Their audience, you know, people aren't consuming news in that way anymore. And so I suspect there was a sense that things had to change. Why this guy who I don't know personally obviously but you know from everything that you read Certainly the image that is projected is one that where confidence might have possibly been mistaken for competence. Uh and uh but he had very little, you know, his only previous credit, major credit was the late night with Stephen Colbert, which is quite a good show, but it's one hour a week. It's not quite a cable channel. So, yeah, I think a gamble and sometimes these gambles do pay off and people rise to the occasion and in this case, I think that didn't happen. How long was he there for? Oh, now uh, 18 years? months. And into 18 months. Yeah. 18 18 months, yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's see, a, I grew up. Yeah. I I I grew up with CNN, you see, because CNN had this, uh, you know, with uh, Christiana and Amanpour, you know, and, we and all, these famous You and I and everybody else are in we are very young, but you know, unfortunately not quite young enough for advertisers anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It is sad. It is sad. But that that said, it's it was an institution, and 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 synonymous with you know gritty reporting. You know, oh, absolutely. It had yeah, it had a huge zones, impact. You know, yeah, it had, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's it was sad. the new source. I mean, as as a as a civilian, as it were. I mean, it was BBC in the UK and CNN was the US. Yeah. Uh, it was just they were synonymous. And people with the, forget now. Sad. people forget how groundbreaking it was when it started you know a new cable network they were the ones who invented this concept and it was very very unique uh and and hugely successful and then copied by so many people but it, what this concept becomes in this new world i don't think i don't think is clear and i don't think cnn is necessarily 
right now in a good place to lead that move. Okay, let's move on. Bad, bad week for Chris. Bad, potentially, I don't know, news of the Telegraph. Telegraph, a newspaper, our erstwhile newspaper, uh, right-leaning, I think it's fair to say, here in the UK, right-leaning everywhere, probably. Uh, Claire, the sale of the Telegraph, what's the story? Well, this is interesting, isn't it? Because it, it sort of goes with CNN. This is a legacy, a very well-respected legacy news outlet. So it's the Telegraph Media Group, which owns the Daily and the Sunday Telegraph and then the Spectator magazine. Definitely right-leaning, although sort of establishment right-leaning. We're not talking Breitbart here. Um, and they, they are bankrupt and they've been put up for sales after receivers uh, took control of the group. Uh, I think the, the best line I read on this was uh, by Ian Whitaker, who's a a media analyst who, who um, writes very good articles, and he, he said, it's, uh, he, he quoted Ernest Hemingway of how did you go bankrupt two ways, gradually, then suddenly. And I think that's sort of what happened. The Telegraph had been going on, going, you know, struggling, as with a lot of print uh, newspapers, but perhaps more so because it was a little bit smaller. It did have a fairly, it does have a fairly aging audience perhaps more so than others and it didn't quite reinvent itself in this new world in the way that the times and the guardian seems to have done done okay i mean they're not it's not disastrous they have solid subscription numbers uh but they they just haven't they haven't really managed to build an advertising business in fact the, the daily mail manages their advertising business the problem that the telegraph faces is not so much that it's up for sale is that nobody seems to want to buy it uh, and that's partly because a lot of other newspapers are struggling at the moment as well. And the only people lined up right now that seem reasonably interested are the Daily Mail. And that makes sense because obviously the Daily Mail has already got agreements with them and they're also in the same area politically. Um, but whether they are ready to buy this and whether it would be approved uh, by the authorities is another it's another question the the uh, the alternative would be similar to when Jeff Bezos moved in uh, would be a sort of um, a high net worth individual who wants it as a sort of glorified asset I think for the whole group that's very unlikely to happen I think there is there is potentially a scenario where the spectator is is separated split off the main newspaper and and that becomes a, a an asset for an individual who's interested in this side of politics. I don't know. It's it's. I'm not. I'm not a Telegraph reader. And people, the, the big joke of for the Telegraph uh, is people say I read it for the sports pages. It was always meant to be the place to go for sports. You know, even if you didn't agree with that politics, you would read it for sports. But um, yeah, it's, it's it was it was a bit of a shock to the print publishing community. I think. And I and I, I I agree. A couple of things. I think I think I think you're right. I mean, there's definitely um, it was a shock to to, to 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 folks, but I think everybody had appreciated that you know print is in decline, and you you can see the alternative being Reach, which has managed to consolidate all of the regional newspapers, um, and effectively try to get economies of scale uh, from that process. But the Telegraph has got, as you say, as you rightly say, Claire, um, they're pretty decent subscription numbers that it's been able to uh, attain over, over, I think, a push, a big push over the last three years. I think the new CEO was desperately, you know, trying to hit certain numbers. 
Um, I think it's, it has definitely got an aging audience, but that's never stopped any print organisation or any organisation like Reader's Digest managed to turn itself around and do some interesting things or TV Times and you know, or Radio Times and so on. So I think when you've got a core following, you can certainly do things interestingly if you've got a great community for other ancillary services. So, 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 so I mean, there's no excuse there for not being able to diversify. Um, but it's also, I think, I still believe it's got some printing presses as well, so it still owns sort of a bit of real estate. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think the problem for uh, the fact that we've gone through a whole round of consolidation over the last 10 years in print, there are not many players. And so the competition authority will have this sort of laser sharp sort of focus on you know, who, who could buy it and consolidate further in the UK market. So I think all eyes possibly are on external, non-UK uh, buyers, where the industry maybe is uh, not as uh, not as, as significant in decline uh, and or there's maybe diversified set of assets within that portfolio or, or that, that, that overall company or conglomerate. Um, but, I, but I agree with you, it could turn into one of those trophy assets where just the prestige of having, a, you know, a UK national newspaper could well be of interest to someone. But I mean, yeah, yeah, it's all out, out there for the, for the merriment of of many of, of the M and A bankers and consultants too. Uh, so, a vanity project, or want to be taken over by uh, someone with very strong, strongly similarly opinions? I took a subscription out on the Telegraph, and I just thought at the end of about a month, it was like, "Oh my God, no! This is written by people who think people like me think like this." Uh, and I had to withdraw. <laughs> It's I just like written that. for. I like that. Was it for the sports, for Oliver? Was that your excuse? <laughs> I read it for the sports pages. This is just <laughs> I, I, the sport is Everybody I've met who writes, this is who reads the Telegraph, has said it's. I read it for the sports pages, which is very funny. No, I read it because I'm a big, red-faced, bald, middle-aged, fat, white gammon. No, uh, it was uh, it, uh, it was just too much. It was just too much. I just imagine though, I am the demographic they're after, and I was like, no, really, no, sorry, not for me. Um, so let's see what happens. I think we've got a few bases covered there. Uh, Maureen, I was going to say, I actually uh, I got a letter. I, I, I my letter was published to the um, the editor. It was published in wow. the Telegraph. And uh, my, 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 my barrister friend, Colin, uh, said, now you do read it, Maureen. I noticed you did. And I said, no, no, no. I was in the garden. It was a sunny day. I couldn't read my iPad because it was sunny. So I, rented, I went to the shop and the only paper they had left was oh, Telegraph. Oh, come on. Really? And I, and, I, <laughs> and I did. I truly, I bought it. I was so upset about this, uh, this, 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 this woman who was writing about the death of Amy Winehouse, and I, it got me so upset about her, the inevitability of the death, that I thought, really? And so I wrote this letter, sent it, and it was published. Yes. And he said, Maureen, there's only, there's, only, there's only one Maureen from E. And he said, you, I now caught you, and you do buy the Telegraph. <laughs> like, no way, I don't. I do not. I am not a Telegraph buyer. Anyway, that's my little story. Oh, well done. Um, uh, yeah, Amy Winehouse is the heroine of my daughter who never got to see her in concert, but I did. Anyway, uh, we better move on. Um, oh, yes, Claire. Uh, the PGA Tour and the Live, uh, I think that's probably a tour as well. I don't think it tours very much. Uh, they've merged. Does that mean peace has broken out in the world of elite golf? So this is really, I mean, I feel like 
whoever put this running order together, Oliver, did a really nice job of transition because we went from CNN to the Telegraph and then from Telegraph Sports Pages to another legacy media owner, the BGA, being being challenged by a wealthy outsider in this case, which was the live the live um, the tour. Yeah, I think it is a tour. It's a good question, uh, which is entirely financed by the Saudis, and it's it's a really interesting one. Uh, Liv came up and said, we're going to be different. And also we have a lot of money and we they had minor, minor changes to the game that allowed them to say that they were like, you know, they tried to do the thing that cricket did where I don't know anything about cricket, but you know, instead of five days took one day, but because it's golf, the difference were much, minor, much more minor than this. And what they did though, was take out a big fat checkbook and go out to all the biggest um, players in the world and say, come and play with us, please. And here's a big check. And the PGA told those players, and we're talking Tiger Woods uh, and uh, what's his name? Rory McIlroy. I don't know anything about golf either. This is bad. Uh, and and they, they, <laughs> Tiger Woods specifically was apparently offered $700 million. It's a lot of money. More than actually the writers are asking for in the whole um, in the whole strike thing to go and play for for the Live tournament and the PGA said to all of its players if you play for Live we you can't play for us that's it and so some went through mostly the older ones that weren't going to win a PGA tournament uh, but most of the the main household names of the PGA stayed stayed with PGA. Uh, in the meantime, PGA was negotiating with Liv and ended up merging with them, which I think was the fist of Tiger a bit, because he turned down this massive check and now he's going to have to play the tournament anyway, uh, but without getting paid quite so much for it. But I think the PGA decided that it was inevitable that these guys had much much deeper pockets and that they were better off on the same size as them as than trying for five years to get kick them off the the, the sports and not succeed and then have, you know basically being destroyed but it was it, it came as a big surprise because they had come out very very strongly against against live from the beginning and then turned around and announced they were they were mergers they were merging you will be terrified to no, Claire, I think Warren will remember this, but the same thing happened in cricket. Nearly destroyed our game in the 1970s. An Australian very rich man called Kerry Packer took all the best oh. players for a a, a, um, a different non-approved non, uh, non, uh, um, set of test matches. It was a disastrous in the 70s. And my father was up in arms, I remember very clearly, but it all worked out in the end. But I think that's what happened there is PGA said, you know what, we don't want to go through that bloody war and we'd rather cut our losses and, and you know, and, and face up to the inevitable, which is these guys that have, you know, are, are going to get a piece of the cake. But as a result, it's it's going to change. I mean, we don't really know how it's all going to end up anyway with the emergency, but it, it will change the game, I suspect, significantly. It's sort of not too dissimilar to the writers in the fact there's a massive pie here and this is about um, who gets the bigger slice in terms of the actual people who are creating the uh, experience writers versus golfer um, let's move on oh Maureen yeah you have a story uh, around digital ad spending oh yeah a quick story uh, but well, I guess building on um, the, the commentary that we have uh, uh, sort of shared over a couple of podcasts that uh, um, I think coming into 2023, we saw 
um, some of the major, uh, what we call Holcos, come up with their forecast for 2023. There's definitely a revision downwards from about 8% to 6%. Um, and we've been monitoring that, of course. But the IAB has come out with a set of numbers, uh, which is not too bad and, and quite sort of close, closely aligned with, with the forecast. So I think and quite encouraging. And then when you break those down as well, and I think I've got the numbers, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating that we've seen about nine, so an uptick of about 9% which is pretty good. So digital ad spend um, across Europe up uh, almost almost 10%. Um, and then as part of that, um, what we think the commentary is and what we're seeing is when you, when you look a little closer to what the technology is doing, how we're consuming uh, um, media, how we're buying goods on the retail side, um, it, it really is looking very interesting in terms of then an uptick in where the where the revenue is going or where the ad spend is going across connected TV, retail, e-commerce, and again all driven by sort of different types of consumer behaviour and underlying technology. So I think it's uh, it's 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 looking positive. Um, I think it will continue. Uh, we were all expecting that we were entering an advertising recession. We haven't. Um, it's good to keep monitoring it, but I think it's all pretty good news. Yeah, it's certainly not bad, not as bad news as some people were expecting, which... Indeed, yeah. That's a terrible headline, isn't it? That's a headline that I should think editors... Um, editors absolutely... Uh, well, that's that's not Yeah, <laughs> the news today, everything's sort of okay. I mean, not brilliant, but the news today... Hey, listen, we'll sort of take okay. it right now. <laughs> absolutely. Maureen, Claire, thank you so much. In summary, everything's quite bad, but it could be worse. And yeah. that was In The News. So moving on now to lightning fast. And uh, my word, the time has flown today. So we probably need this to be actually quite fast. Uh, so let's go. I will start with lightning fast with Claire, I think. And uh, the Apple AR headset oh, looks wait, very I need, flash. I need to look for my prop. Here we go. Okay, I have a prop. Okay, so just for the record, oh my god, she's got one, but it's huge. Oh, look. oh my god, that's they both now. Okay. Both of our experts have put on. Well, actually, Maureen's put on sunglasses as as per usual. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's going <laughs> to. I have put a VR headset, which is not the Apple one. Obviously, Claire, I don't have it. It's the Oculus Claire's one. Claire's put a Volkswagen Beetle on the front of her face. But I, I'm putting it's it enormous. for show because I mean, seriously. I think this is my problem with the Apple VR effect. I think it's 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 really interesting that Apple is entering the 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 VR world, but I think we are three or four iterations from something that people would actually be seen in public with. And even the Apple headset is still it's not quite as big as that, but it is of that sort of build. So I'm going with mm, on the VR thing. Meh. Meh. I, I I I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. And I have to say, it, it doesn't look anything like that particular model that you put on there then, just oh. Claire. Because you could actually see people's you can see people's eyes. Not so you could time. although I don't necessarily I don't necessarily want to sit next to someone that's got a box on their face. No, exactly. Or, or an ashtray. And I think or, right. there is a however, whole thing about however, women being really worried it, about it. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. However, the experience I spent I spent some time just looking at the commercials, and so I'm really thumbs up because I was just I was I was I'm gullible from a marketing perspective, and I just loved it. I just want them to reduce the price, 
but I just love the experience and I could sense it. And I thought, and I thought there's probably one industry that's going to really benefit from this, but I don't want to say it on air. No. Oh, blimey. Okay. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Gosh, really? Oh, well, dear. I think retail, that actually, be... and this is, the, I could see how, you know, that, that's what she meant. Shop, she meant that's that's what she I meant, know, I know that's what she meant, obviously. <laughs> anyway, I'm not, I'm still not entirely bought into this whole thing, but who knows? What do I know? Yeah, it's tricky. I think there's something there when it gets smaller and lighter and cheaper. Mm. Uh, let's move on. Oh, Maureen, yes. Friend of the show, I think, really. Linda Yacharino. Linda Yacharino. Maureen. Yacharino. Oh, it's a hard C. Linda Yacharino. Yeah. Maureen. Oh, uh, yeah. Poor, 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 poor Linda. I mean, she's obviously been put in place as CEO uh, of, of Twitter. Um, and, and you know, frankly, I, I just think it's... Uh, it's she's she's not gonna she's not gonna do well there i mean she may be brilliant she can increase numbers or she can do certain things and she probably has an environment where she can but i just think it's set for disaster to be honest so i'm thumbs down claire well so i was talking about her with a few people this week this weekend and they were saying you can watch can't really lose because it can't really get much worse than it is which obviously we've heard before uh, and if she makes it slightly less bad than it is, then she will have won. So, and also, she couldn't really stay where she was for various reasons uh, to do with her boss being fired and her not taking his job, etc. So, in a way, maybe it was a good move for her on personally. I don't think it will save Twitter. I agree with you, but I, I'm slightly less negative on her career move. So, I'm going to go with like a sort of pensive, chin stroking emoji. Uh, you've got to stroke your chin at least once yeah. in uh, Lightning Fast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Uh, let's go for Amazon. Um, uh, Maureen, let's stay with you. Uh, launching the ad-funded tier, uh, particularly, but Amazon. Well, Amazon, always long on Amazon. I know this is not short long, but Lightning Fast. But yeah, I put sunglasses on because I just love everything that Amazon does. So yes, really? Amazon Prime is going, yeah, yeah. Mm. I yeah yeah, 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 you're a fan. Yeah, 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 I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of their products and services. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, I see. As a consumer, yeah, 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 yeah. As a consumer, yeah. Mm. There we go. So you're wearing sunglasses because the future's bright, <laughs> or as we've discovered, the future might not be as dim yeah. as we thought it might be. Uh, Claire, what's your thoughts? Amazon. Have you got another prop? Oh, she has. Look. Oh, it's yeah. a duck with a helmet. Yeah. Oh. I think that's Amazon. Like, it's a duck with a helmet. It's just try, you know, it's 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 putting belts and braces on. It's try this is what I love with Amazon. They're just they don't have one strategy, they have seven thousand strategies. So now they're going yeah, exactly. for ad funded and they want to launch an MDNO and bundling's always been a big thing for them, but they're expanding that. So, you know, uh, but in the meantime, the real moneymaker, as we all know, is their cloud services, which nobody ever talks about. So in yes, so this is this is my little ducky with a helmet. Uh, by the way, in the nerd land of digital uh, management consultancy, we talk about AWS a lot. Okay. I can assure That's you. That's yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry, it doesn't escape notice. Um, Nvidia next, and we will go with Maureen. Oh, I love Nvidia. So, but uh, Nvidia is uh, is everything. Uh, images and uh, of course is, is generative AI and, and the like. So of course they have now that got an extraordinarily ridiculous valuation. Um, valuation aside, um, I just uh, they're, they're, who, who are they partnered with Claire? 
Oh, remind me, I've forgotten. They've partnered with some, yes, WPP. Yeah. WPP, Mark Reed has partnered with them and I think it's the smartest move. Mark Reed is a fantastic CEO um, and has embraced everything AI, everything generative AI um, as a creative, because uh, of course they're, they're a marketing agency. So I am with Vidya. Yes. Claire? Uh, I, I, I mean, it's interesting with NVIDIA because it's been, they've been under the radar. They've been there for many years, but their stock prices just jumped 30% because suddenly they've, they've, they've hit a certain valuation because of the artificial intelligence. Uh, that's great. Uh, whether they can sustain this, I don't know because, you know, there's always a bubble effect. But yes, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in favor so far. There's still, yeah, thumbs up from NVIDIA. Perfect. Thank you. Staying with you, Claire, we have Meta. Meta is in discussions with the news outlets about, you know, it's, this has been going on and on and on. But, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a judgment in California at the moment about trying to prevent them from using news outlets content without authorization, whether it's going to go anywhere. I don't know. Meta's not happy. In parallel, they're preparing to launch their Twitter rival. Now, they don't have a great track record of launching rivals of other platforms to copy them. They usually end up buying them in the end. Uh, although I think that's probably a bit unfair to uh, Instagram Reels, which is, as we all know, the place where middle-aged people like us go and watch TikToks. So I think, uh, yeah, we shall see. They, they are trying, I guess they're trying to be the belt and braces little ducky like Amazon, but I'm slightly less up on Meta than I am on Amazon. Maureen, where do you stand? Oh, God, that's entertaining. I love that. I need to get another prop. <laughs> Quite easy, please. <laughs> well, I mean, I did bring a little ducky with a helmet. I didn't realise you had this here. That is cool. There's a light in it as that well. That is cool. Yeah. I, 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 whatever Claire says, and double it. <laughs> No. Okay, no, we'll take that. Um, and finally, no, not finally, penultimately, actually, we do have a final extra, but uh, penultimately, uh, Maureen, let's stay with you, Love Island. Okay, I'm going to take this one, because Maureen's like, what's Love Island? Oh, Never heard of I, this. I, I know Love Island, of course I do, but I don't watch it. I don't, oh, I I don't, don't watch, watch it. So it. This is about some... watching it. This I... is about the ratings doing quite badly. Like, the, the last season already did quite Good. badly, and this season, well, you know, this season did even worse. Yes, good. I mean, we you know we it's but part of the reason is there are so many other dating shows at the moment, and this is going back. This is perfect full circle again. Huge kudos to whoever wrote the stunts, but you know, this is going back to writer strike because those are all reality shows, and everybody's putting up their dating shows, and they're and people are this fatigue level on it. It's not really something people want anymore, and you before you know it, we're going to need writers. So yeah, Love Island not doing so well. Yeah, and Maureen, and have you got that, nothing to say on this cultural phenomenon? Uh, I, I know, I know reality shows, of course. I mean, I, I was heavily involved in X Factor alongside Claire. Of course. <laughs> so, but I saw, but I saw also the X Factor numbers were uh, Britain's Got Talent. Sorry, uh, were were down to what five million or just mm. just under five million, which is extraordinarily low compared to their heydays. So, um, uh, yeah, reality. This is a, this is the thing, isn't it? So reality shows people are now coming out of that cycle want something else. That's why I pay the pay the writers, get some lovely scripted drama and crime series and comedy. Get Seth Meyers back. Um, so uh, Myers, hurry up, hurry up. I'm back. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm. 
I, I can't bear it. My, uh, I mean, I know I'm not I'm qualified nor allowed to have an opinion, but I just came in and they were watching Love Island, my wife and daughter, and there was just a young woman crying with tears rolling down her face, crying to camera. And I thought, uh, uh, really? You're, this is entertainment that this young woman has been manipulated into feeling so emotionally uh, bereft? I thought, this is, this is not right. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm not allowed to play. Uh, and finally... Wait, wait, finally, I have finally, one comment. I'm sorry, uh, Oliver. Finally, finally, but before that, I talking about entertainment, I urge you all to go and watch the opening number of the Tony Awards in New York if you haven't watched it. Obviously, it was an unscripted show, and so the whole opening number, which is normally a monologue with lots of jokes, was a dance number, which referred to a number of uh, Broadway productions, obviously, and it is spectacular. And really good fun. Yeah. So, you know, until the dancers go on strike, I think we should, we'll watch that. But didn't someone have to have the idea for that? And aren't they it, therefore a sort of writer, in a, a sense? There's or? a choreographer, but it's not a writer. There's no line. There's entirely okay. music. Hmm. No, no text either, no it's, songs. Just pure music. Ah, oh, that's interesting because I was going to say that if there were if there were lyrics, it's no lyrics. Taken, uh, Actually, Lin Manuel Miranda was meant to write a song for the show. I'm not sure if it was for the opening number. I think he said he wouldn't because of the writer's strike. So it's but it's it's very very. There's one moment where the main dancer sort of jumps off the stair and into the arms of of another. It's just quite spectacular. You should watch it. Anyway, moving on. Sorry, Oliver. Okay. No, no, it's good. You always give a tip. Or every now and again you give a tip. We might have a new section. Or even Claire's tips. Or Claire's tips. Or Anyway, whatever. Always looking to develop this podcast. And in the spirit of wanting to develop this podcast, final lightning fast, let's start with you, Maureen. Uh, mm -hmm. The media beat. Dara, remember why we're in lightning fast? Because of our studio yeah. session? Because of the fact that we've been photographed? Okay, she's oh, left. indeed. <laughs> Completely lost the plot. I should have gone to Claire. <laughs> we have new photos. We had a photo shoot. Oliver was the star of our photo shoot, as you might expect. And at some point, we're going to have a fantastic new uh, artwork and logo and beautiful pictures of all of us fighting. Uh, and there's one where we literally look like the Castle Blow and Order, and they're they're amazing. So look out for that. Absolutely. So thumbs up. And uh, yeah, I can't believe how photogenic 67% um, of us are, <laughs> actually. <laughs> but it was huge fun getting together, and we were very silly and very naughty, and you'll see the results of those on our platform really soon. Sh sh shout out to our photographer, Espen, who came uh, armed with a lot of ideas and uh, was were very, very nice to work with. Yeah, it's yeah, been yeah, super. Yeah, absolutely super. We'll give him a copyright. No residuals, though. No. <laughs> oh, Claire, that's yeah, terrible. He should be able no residuals. Yes, exactly. Of the, of the many, many, yeah. 5%, uh, so we owe you uh, nothing yeah. at the moment. Um, so that's great. We are out of time. Oh, what fun. Uh, Maureen, thank you so much, as always. Uh, thank you, Oliver, as always. Claire and Super Duck with Helmet, thank you very much as always. Thank you very much, Oliver. Uh, I hope you like the silliness. There's a lot of serious stuff as well, uh, so it's nice to counterpoint with being ridiculous. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you on the next one. For now, bye-bye. <laughs>